morning we just come to you. We come as children to our Father. Not childish, but with childlike faith. We want to hang on to every word that comes from our Father's lips. Because there is absolute total power in the Word of God. The power to deliver us of every situation. That's the power of our Father released through His Word and by His Spirit. So we come to you, Father. We sit at your feet and we pray beyond the voice of man. Every ear will be open to the voice of your Spirit. For life comes from you. And you came to give us life. And your life is in your word. Help us to receive it. Believe it. Allow it to work in us. And walk in it. To that end, Lord, I commit the ministry of the word. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We've been looking and we're still looking. The commission God gave us to make disciples of all nations. Those who are already on the road to discipleship, how to occupy till he comes. And the crux of that prayer Jesus taught us to pray is thy kingdom come. And all our struggles are, even in our prayer life, our struggles is shifting the focus from us to the king and the kingdom. And most of our prayers, uh, the prayers are okay. God doesn't have any issues as long as we are kingdom-centric people and not self-centered. Okay, so always remember, we have two worldviews. Worldviews, one is the world of self or it is the kingdom. And God is calling us to be kingdom-centric people. And the very first act God does in the lives of all those who come to him is to see that we are born again into the kingdom. We were born, you and I were born in this world, but we are born again into the kingdom. So we are like uh, dual citizens and one citizenship is horrible, that is of the world, but it's, it's, it's a hostile it's like the Pakistan ambassador in Delhi or the Indian ambassador in Pakistan. Followed every time. That's one ambassador either country doesn't trust. Okay. But you have no choice. You have to be there because you're posted there. And we have to have that kind of an attitude. I am in this world, but I am not of this world. The world does not love me. If the world loves me, then there is something wrong with me and nothing wrong with the world. There's something absolutely wrong with that's what Jesus said, if the world uh, hates you, Rome it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you. Okay, so don't even try to be loved by the world. Be kind to the people in the world, be merciful, be compassionate, love the people, but we don't want the love of the world, because the love of the world is enmity with God. So understand these perceptions very, very clear because unless we have that framework in our mind, we will not be able to actually receive or even hear what God is trying to. Because even God is shouting from heaven during this time of pandemic, we will digest it with on our own frame. 
which is the world view, and not with the kingdom view. So that is why when they ask him to pray, he's not giving them a whole list of how to pray and what he's saying. Look, the focus of the prayer is we have to be kingdom-centric people. And Jesus made it very clear even before Pilate. Pilate asked him, are you a king? He said, I am. I'm a king. But he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So, when we were born in that kingdom, he makes it very clear, I am a king, I have a kingdom, but my kingdom is not of this world. If it were so, he said, my servants would fight you. My servants would fight you. He said, my kingdom, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't take me like this. Okay, and he said, you think you have authority? You have no idea about this kingdom. He says, you have authority over me because it has been given to you. You have no authority over other than what I give it to you. Okay, so this reality we need to understand, this physical reality, we are caught in this physical reality, which is the deception. Like if you have to have a picture, actual photo, the sake, photographs were in there, but one day when we are in eternity, we'll see flashback, everything we'll see, God will show us, I believe he'll show us everything, history. Okay, not the gory parts, but he will show what can be seen. You will see a picture of Jesus Christ beaten, broken, tied up, standing before Pilate. Pilate in his robes and in his splendor. And nobody would believe that the one who is broken and beaten actually is the only real king. The other is a slave. The other is a slave and destined for hell. One is an eternal king. The other is an eternal slave. But that's not what you will see. So God says, you know, unless you see through eyes of faith the kingdom, your kingdom-centric people, you cannot even hear what I'm trying to tell you. You will not even perceive it. No, we process it like you in the computer, you know, my little basic knowledge of computer. I know the most important thing in the computer is the processor. Therefore, the most important thing in our head, in our body is the processor, the mind. The question is, our processor has been messed up. How do we process information that comes? Okay, do we process it the world-made processor or it's a kingdom processor? And when we are born again with the renewal of the mind, God is changing that mind, that processor, and making us into kingdom people. So, he's a king. We are subject to him. His word is the law. We are subject to that. Everything that the world says which agrees with his word, we agree. But whenever there is a conflict, we choose to go with his word even unto the point of death. Death. We are willing. That's why they did not. They, if you want to overcome him, we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, the finished work of Jesus Christ, by the word of our testimony which agrees with his word, and we do not love our lives even unto death. When there is a conflict, we know what we will choose. Like Daniel's three friends, the greatest, most glorious king on earth, but your majesty, your this what particular order goes against our conscience. We cannot bow to this idol. Cannot bow to this idol. We can only bow to God. We cannot bow to this idol. So in that process, we have to die. We have to die. And it's not a question about our God's power. It's a question of our God's sovereignty. Okay, it's not a question of God's power. If he wants to save us, he can save us. But it's not a question of God's power. I will bow because, I will not bow because he will save me. No, it's not a question of his power. It's a question of his sovereignty. It's a question of 
his sovereignty. He's sovereign over this. And we would prefer death over bending our knee. Okay, so understand these concepts, otherwise we will not. And a lot of people read their Bibles all their lives, but very rarely do they really understand and hear from God is because of this block about the kingdom. We go like very good democratic people and read the Bible and it simply doesn't work. Ultimately, if you go like that, you will end up like a democrat, which are basically demonocrats. Okay. That's that's what they have handled. How did the, that party begin and where has it ended? They've taken God completely out of the party. We don't want even to have God in the platform. And every creepy, crawly, unclean ideas have got into the plat- platform. Okay, that's what happens. If you take God out, this is what you will end up out. Ultimately, yes, God will give you over. And you, know, you may think you're progressive, but you're the most regressive creature. An organization on earth. That's what happens. You take God out of the picture. So God says, you know what? Every one of us can end up as a very regressive, unclean thing before God to be thrown away. If we take God out of the picture, God is in the center of it all. So there is war. The minute you are born again, you are invited. Not invited, you are conscripted. There is no invitation. In God's kingdom, everybody is forcibly conscripted into the army, into the battlefield. You have for a season when you are born again because you are very young, like a father to his children, God will protect you. There is a supernatural protection over the little children. But after that, he will let you loose because you have to learn to fight. You have to learn because whole life till the end is a battle with powers of darkness. We are not fighting flesh and blood, but we are fighting principalities, powers, rulers. It's a constant battle. And because the church is not aware of it and do not teach it, the casualties are seen all around. We are not talking about the world. We are talking about the church. Okay? And the enemy, what he does primarily, Second Corinthians 4, 4, if I'm right, what he does is he blinds. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. As far as the people in the world is concerned, their minds are completely blinded. As people are in the church are concerned, they have blind spots. And some people have lots of blind spots with only one little spot of light. It's true. And we were all born again with full of blind spots. Full of blind spots. And salvation, growing in salvation is light entering into our mind and getting rid of everything that does not agree with the word of God. What does the devil do? He blinds people, their minds. How does he blind? What does he do? The, the, the weapon of the enemy the weapon of the enemy, the powerful weapon of the enemy is lie. And through lies he deceives and holds people in bondage. The weapon of God is truth. Through God he releases his people through truth. The truth shall set you free. How does the enemy take people in bondage? With lies. He won't come out with an out and out lie. You know that. He never comes with an out and out light. He will only, he'll mix it nicely. 
Okay, you mix it nicely. Did God really say? And he's been very polished. He's a gentleman. He's not a rude speaker, preacher. He's very polished. He has an Oxford accent too. He'll come in a three-piece suit. He will not terry scare you at all. He was not scared at all by the person which he inhabited, that personality or his voice or his tone. Nothing scared her. Nothing scared her. Nothing. He'll come to you. Very convincing words. Did God really tell you? It begins with that and finally turns God's word completely around. Once you're willing to listen to him and start receiving his ideas little by little, he will subvert completely God's truth. God said, if you eat, you shall surely die. He turned it around and said, if you eat, you surely shall not die. And you're deceived. That's why the Bible says the woman was deceived. Woman was deceived. Okay, Adam was not. So the press, the assumption is Adam did not hear the conversation. Only Eve heard. Adam just took the fruit that was given to him by Eve. He was not deceived. That's what Timothy says. The woman was deceived. How did he deceive her? With words. And did not begin with a straightforward lie, but mixed it nice, quietly, gently, subtly, questioning what God has said. And even that, it is what has happened in the church. Little by little, questioning the word of God. Why should it be so? Little by little. And you take little and add little. Take little, add little. Take little. Finally, you have something which is not the word of God. It is the word of man. And it has lost its power. You know, like we say in Hindi, mein, Dood mein pani dalkar dalkar add water, 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 water to the milk. And finally you don't know what you are drinking. Are you drinking milk or are you drinking water? That's what they did to the gospel. So deception is his primary weapon. And that he uses lies to deceive people and then holds them in bondage. And because this is spiritual, spiritual and physically you are free, and you may be even prospering. You may even have 20 million likes on your Twitter. You don't even realize you have been completely deceived. You're looking at outward prosperity as a sign that inwardly you are free. And one day people wake up like the rich man. You fool. He's just making his calculations again. Okay, I shall, I shall, um, Expand my company. I'll get Google to invest 7 billion here. Facebook 2 billion. And I'm really, and that day he dies. And he ends up in hell. He's making all these investment plans. How to expand and expand and merge and make my company bigger. I mean, I'm talking in modern terms, a parable which Jesus talked about. That's what people do. And God calls him, you fool. And nobody in his lifetime would have ever called him fool. He said, you know what? That's the man you should be like. Be like Bill Gates. Be like Steve Jobs. Be like Obama. That's what mothers do. Buy Obama's book in millions and pass it on to children. Read and be like him. They look at a successful person and somebody writes him, the person or some ghostwriter writes a book about his life and we buy it, all these books and feed our children. Be like him, be like him, be like him, be like him. Because these are models of success. 
but personalities of depravity. Any man who does not know God is a fool. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What are we selling? This is the problem, because this is a spiritual thing. And the devil has blinded the people. Absolutely, totally blinded. Look at the role models we have in the world. We'll say President Trump has 83 million followers on Twitter. And how many does Cyrus Miley or Miley Cyrus or whatever her name has? 200 million? 300 million? Yeah. Look at these people. You know these people? These celebrities, do you know their followers? And these are what the generation listens to. Imitate everything. And we call them stars. I don't know how you can use this word star with them. Because star is an eternal concept that is coming in eternity. And you can act in a porn movie and be called a porn star. How depraved. And this all comes from the so-called Western Christian world. You see how... People do not see the judgments of God in Romans 1. God has handed them over that a set of people who can publicly act out for money the most heinous, depraved lifestyle are called stars. And one of those stars who happens to be Indian when she visited some of the before the pandemic, some of the cities in India for opening a showroom. It was jam-packed with people. You know who it is. It's all in the newspapers. One Indian is there among the porn stars, and she's a movie actress now in India. And they call her to open showrooms. What is her fame? Porn star. Think about it. Just think about it. How blinded are we as people? And you know, one of, one picture I saw, it was in Kerala, in Cochin or something, she was invited to open some showroom, but some showroom. It was jam-packed, flooded with men. Every balcony, every road, every nook and corner was jammed with people. To see this woman. These are our icons. People, we do not realize how the age has changed. And we don't even realize the blindness of man. The blindness of man. And the enemy has blinded even Christian eyes. If they are a Christian. And that's his primary weapon. He blinds so we are not able to see. In John chapter 17 Verses 13 onwards, Jesus makes this very clear distinction between his people and the people of the world. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Why do we need the appreciation of the world? Every time, because we have this social sector which we work in, no orphanages and all these things. So many times in the past, we had invitations from the government to come to be felicitated. 
Every time I said no. No. I said it's just headache. Headache. We don't want to be, don't want to be seen with the system at all. They will give you one knuckly, you know, false little medal or something, ribbon, and then they will send you more work tomorrow. Now we gave you a medal, do this also. We don't want, we just want to do, because it doesn't matter how many social work we do, ultimately the king has to accept it to us, right? So why accept a tofa before it's time? No. Every time we say absolutely no. That's why till today we have run our ministries, though it benefits the government, because we are taking care of their children. We haven't taken one pie from the government. One pie. They said no. No. We'll not take anything from the government because you take one pie from the system, tomorrow they will tell you what to do. Tell you what to do. He will take care of the children. He will take care of our needs. You need to understand, we are always after this love of the world. We don't want the love of the world. We want the love of the king. We want the appreciation of the king. He should say one day, well done. Well done. Sabash. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Before that, we don't want. We don't want. We just stay away from the limelight. Okay. You see, if you look at the actual lime, that juice is bitter. Limelight will become bitter one day. It is acid actually. I don't know why they call it limelight. Yeah, lime is acid. It will burn one day, this limelight in this world. You stay out of the limelight like Jesus did. He always hid himself. He didn't want any limelight. <laughs> we have to learn these things because why are we in all this social media? <laughs> the only reason I am in social media is to make a point across. I am the most incognito person that if I had not saved my own ID, I wouldn't know who I am. <laughs> I don't know I don't need my ID is a number so if I don't know the number it is not saved I would lose myself but like I was telling Pastor Vijay Pastor Vijay I just put one tweet and I found 333 people had seen it already okay we have to engage we are in the world but we are not of the world we are not of that doesn't mean but we are sent into the world so god says if you are in these host platforms engage but engage as a kingdom person don't engage as a worldly person you have already lost your power to influence you are sent to them but you are not part of them make that distinction very clear like I said, if you look like a duck, you walk like a duck, you talk like a duck, you are a duck. We are sent into the world. We are not of the world. We are called to make a difference in the world and not the world make a difference in us. No, no, no. Then we are, that's what he said. I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Verse 15. I do not pray you should take them out of the world. He did not pray that we should be taken out of the world. He says, no. That's why people will say, when I was God saved, why didn't God take me away? He says, no. 
but that you should keep them from the evil one. That's what I pray. That evil one with his lies and deception will again take them over, protect them from the evil one. That's there in the prayer. Lead me not into temptation, deliver me from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This should be our confession every day in verse 16. Lord, make me just like you. As you were not of the world, I want to be like that. Culture will changing, world will be changing, but Lord, if you were to live in my shoes today, would you partake of that? As you are not of the world, I also want to be. I don't want to be any different from you. Lord, I have a role model. I have a star I follow. It's you. It's you. You are my icon. If I want to imitate anybody, I want to imitate. That's what Paul says. I imitate Christ. I imitate Christ. Okay, imitate. Let me tell you, one day when everything finishes and the kingdom of God begins, you will see Jesus is the most fashionable man on earth. I'm not talking about fashion. <laughs> you would wish that, oh, I wish, I wish I had imitated him when I was in flesh and blood. Oh, I wish. Because eternity, this will go. And what is inside will be revealed. And that is, should be fashionable. And in the kingdom of God, what is fashionable is righteousness and holiness. It is fashionable. Okay. So we are in the world, but we are not of the world. So the only way we can be like him and not be like the world is verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth. That is how we are separated, by the word of God. By the word of God, we are sanctified. We are set apart constantly away from the world unto him. Away from the world unto him. This is the two things that has to happen. And verse uh, 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent me into the world. Okay. We are not, we, we, we are not called to disengage. That is what happened in the Middle Ages. The, it, the church failed. People all withdrew into the monasteries and lived isolated lives. He says, no, 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 no. That's not Christianity. Authentic Christianity engages with the world, but has a kingdom person. It does not disengage from the world. It engages with the world because the world is a set of ideas and you have been, I have been given the most powerful idea of all. That is the mind of Christ. And no argument can stand before the mind of Christ. God can send you to any university. It doesn't matter. Stay there as a kingdom person and stand there in faith to believe this has the power. You may sound like a fool. They may mock you. Stand there. Stand there. No, when I was an iflu, that's what's to happen. At the end of the day, I will always come back to the word. I said, but it is written. They'll say, no canon. You have to understand literary terms. There's no canon. Who framed the canon? One of the questions was, who framed the canon? Canon means a law. There is no canon. I said, the day the law was given through Moses on Mount Sinai, the canon was set and no man. Imagine sitting in a literary class in a PhD, why you were questioning, you're allowed to speak as one of the persons. And I said that. The canon is set. And you can have agreements or disagreement. This is not going to go away. This is not going to go away. It's going to stand there and come back and bite us one day. Okay. 
going to come back. So we, we are not ashamed. We are not ashamed of the gospel. We should not be ashamed of the gospel. When we disengage and we do not engage with the world in whatever settings we are saying, either we are not sure about the word of God or we are ashamed of our God. And we are not. This will stand on its own, Lord. And I am not ashamed. That's what Paul says. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. Gospel is not. You need to understand the gospel, the kingdom of God is an incredible set of ideas which makes the person of Jesus Christ. And all of it is compressed together and called as one. The doctrine of Christ. And it engages into every sphere of human activity. Everything. You talk about music, the kingdom of God comes. You talk about movies, the kingdom of God comes. You talk about conversation, clothes, fashion, anything. The kingdom of God. It has a statement to make. Everybody is around in the world trying to make statements. But the kingdom of God's statement is what will always stand at the end. At the end, all this will pass away. And the kingdom of God is forever and ever. And people have to learn to engage. 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 Whatever your profession is, you need to realize, I'm a kingdom person. That's why we pray for Unicopus. There are so many hospitals in this city. We don't pray for them. Plenty. Why do we pray for Unicopus? Because it's a kingdom hospital. It's a kingdom hospital. The focus is kingdom. Focus is kingdom. Okay. I had my surgery. I had my surgery. The surgery cost me one twentieth of what it would have cost me in a private hospital. One twentieth. And then last week, the surgeon called me and said, Pastor, uh, the, the, the anesthetist, anesthesiologist who gave you the anesthesia, he did not know you were a pastor. So he wants to return your fee. Because anesthetist paid along with that his fee. So he did not know you were a pastor. He says, I do not charge pastors. Okay, kingdom. It's kingdom. It's kingdom. So we everywhere God gives us the ability, the power, the mind to stand up for Him. The question is, will we? So the Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter ten and verse three, we can have it in NKJV and NIV. Both translations are okay. Though we walk in the flesh. Do we do not war according to the flesh? We walk in this flesh, in this human. And let's have it in NIV. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We are sent in the world, but we don't fight like the world. We don't fight like the world. We don't. We don't fight like the world. The kingdom of God is completely contrary to every assumed Idea we have received in our growing day schools, colleges. Look at Matthew 10 and verse 16. Completely contrary. Behold, I sent you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. How are we sent? As sheep among the wolves. How has the world sends people with power? Like wolves among sheep. Have you seen some modern day riot police? They look like aliens. With mass Body armor, laser, gun, everything. Upper you see them, you will want to run away. How does the world sense its representatives? Like wolves among sheep. How does God send his people? 
a sheep among wolves. Can you accept this? Sheep is among all the creatures which God has created. He's one of those few has no defensive weapons at all. Nothing. No horns, nothing. They're totally defenseless. That's why but the Bible says in Ephesians, when you go, you shall go clothed in the power of God, not in your strength at all. Like sheep among the wolves. This is a kingdom statement. But that's not what we, we want to be equipped with all those ideas from the world and we want to go and preach the gospel. Gospel says, God says it doesn't work. You're contrary to the kingdom. That's why he didn't pick one smart man as his disciple. Because he would have gone in his wisdom. And Moses had to be kept 40 years in the desert until he had been emptied of all the wisdom of Egypt. And Paul had to be kept in the desert of Saudi Arabia to reteach him. And everything he learned from his Bible college had to be taken out. Because he would have gone in the strength of it. Strength of it. He's not weak. So we have to get our fundamentals right. We live in the world. But we are not of the world. There is an invisible world all around us. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of God is the one which is like, don't even try to even in your mind give space to the devil that is kind of something like God. For God is just like a speck on the wall. That's all. That's why he says, behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample. Not you shall even hit him. Even you hit him, he's kind of equal. Right? If you have to fight a bull and you have to fight an ant, it is different. The bully will try to hold on to his horns. The ant, you just sustain it. He says, please don't. This is what he is. Because I live in you. It's not we. It's he in us. Greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. For who is in us, he says, that's all he is. That's all he is. Don't give him. What is dangerous is his lies and his deceptions. But he's hostile. Extremely hostile. Okay, extremely hostile. The kingdom of God is extremely friendly because it's family. The kingdom of darkness is extremely hostile because it's enemy. So God says, take precautions. Nobody saw, has still seen, anybody see, not even Dr. Richard has seen the virus, coronavirus. But everybody takes precautions of something which you have not seen. Because you've seen the results of what it can do. In the same way, if Christians were to take precautions about the invisible world, God clearly talks about life would be different. You don't have to see it. You see it, the effects, and you look into the word, and you realize this enemy attacks. Stealth attack. That's his nature. He deceives to win. And he wins by deception. And he attacks the body. It's not that bad. He attacks the mind. It's easier to, in ministry, as pastors, easier to deliver somebody who is only demonized in the body than somebody who is demonized in the mind. Body is much more easier. 
can if the person is willing, the subject is willing, you can cast it out easily. If you have the anointing and you know the power of God's word, you can cast it out. Bind. It's a different story altogether. Look at Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. He healed him. So the blind and mute man both spoke and so. So you have to, not all diseases, but many diseases are demon-caused. In this case, a man who was brought there, demon-possessed. What was the result on his body? He was blind and he was mute. He's blind and he's mute. And Jesus just cast out the spirit, blind spirit and the mute spirit and suddenly he sees and he speaks. But he didn't do always the same way. Another man is brought by four people. His roof is broken, broke it down. He's been paralyzed. He didn't say, get out, spirit of infirmity. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Because now his illness is something which is part of his life. Something he's done in the past has had effect on his body. So Jesus had absolute discernment. No. The original radiologist, pathologist was Jesus. The doctors go by the pathologist and the radiologist report. Because they see what the doctor doesn't see. The doctor sees the symptoms. The pathology goes, he goes deep inside your whatever is tested. Or the MRI scan, he looks at it and he sees what was invisible to the doctor's eyes is visible to that machine. He looks at it and gives it. And that is called the spirit of discernment. And Jesus said, Absolute spirit of discernment. And gives, Jesus gives a discernment. It gives very great insights in words 28 and 29. If I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. So he's telling us things, you see. Demons usually don't operate singly, alone. They operate in groups. And they have a leader. They have a leader. And you cast out one alone, one of the chota fellows, and leave the strong man alone. It's not going to work. He says, if the kingdom of God has to ultimately release man, the strongest man has to be bound. And the strong man is devil. And Jesus bound him in the spiritual realm when he died on the cross. And after that, the captives are being set free. But even in demon possession, there are strong men. Strong men. Okay, so it's telling us something. People can be demonized. Okay, demonized. Like I said, even believers can be. <laughs> People don't want to accept it. How can it be possible? <laughs> I said, why? Is it not possible? Let's look at an example. Uh, is the world full of powers of darkness? Yes. Is the spirit of God also there? So how can they be together? <laughs> Otherwise, it means we are demonic for the spirit of God will draw us. This is a spiritual realm we are talking about. So when you are born again, you are born again in your spirit. The Holy Spirit comes over there. But that doesn't mean you are completely delivered. No, your bodies will have demonic oppression. Your mind, everybody's mind has blind spots. Ideas that contradict the word of God. Even if you are not physically in your mind. Like I said, the world is a, is a lunatic asylum. 
whole world. Yeah. We listen to music, but basically they are Looney Tunes. We watch movies produced by insane asylum inmates. We read books written by madmen and women. And we give them Nobel Prizes. That's simple as that. Because this whole world is a Looney Tune place. Because they are possessed by demons. Minds are controlled by demonic ideas. Bodies are controlled by demons. The kingdom of God comes in and makes a statement of deliverance. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. Look at verse 43 and 40, 43 to 45. Same chapter. Jesus is giving us insights of how it works. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. That's what they call human bodies. Miragar. Miragar. I like, he said, that's my house. He doesn't call it my hotel where I checked in yesterday and checked out this morning. He says, no. Because if it's a hotel, you have to go back and say, do you have reservation? Can I have my old room back? No, he says, my house. And when he comes in, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. That's the problem. Don't you dare leave your mind, your body empty. Don't you dare. Dare. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. We have seen but two, all new people. Even the demons are not of the same category of evil. There's some, some better among them. There are even more depraved ones among them. It's more evil. Like I said, his primary weapon is lies. It lies. But the lie is mark is the best marketing guy, by the way. Marketing is actually the devil's job. You know, much of the marketing slogans, you know, are lies. Do you remember this this gentleman who went to court and filed this thing over Axe Effect? You remember that perfume called Axe Effect? Axe Effect. The ads were all that. If you put this perfume, and then this guy goes, all the girls are following him. He said he spent a fortune on Axe Effect. No girl followed him. He tried to follow a couple of people, girls. He got slapped. He went to court saying the ad is a lie. In India, he went to court. I don't know how you guys don't remember. It was many years back. <laughs> Think about it. The devil is very good at marketing. He sells a lie. And it is so tempting. That's why temptation. Lead me not into temptation. Packages, packages it very, 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 very well. That's the eye gate is so important. Remember? He said all this and then she looked at it and she saw it was good for the eye. Remember, Akkan, I saw it. Babylonian garment. 
and that brick of gold, I looked at it, I saw it. Remember Lot looked and he saw the valley of Jordan, Sodom and Gomorrah like the Garden of Eden. What is the Garden of Eden? When he tells you something, he will put a slice of truth there. But the other side he doesn't tell you is what will kill you. Just like the Garden of Eden. Looks like the Garden of Eden. But the real life there is a life of depravity. That's how he sells it. Of course he sells it. He doesn't tell, he doesn't sell homosexuality as homosexuality. He sells it as human rights. Of course, human rights. He doesn't sell abortion as killing babies. Reproductive rights. I don't know what kind of right is that. I thought reproductive right is the right to have babies. I didn't know it was the right to kill babies. Because for me, biology class, the reproduction means to have a child. For them, reproductive right means to kill. And it's a contradiction, but that's how it is sold. The minute right comes in, everybody jumps on it. It's very good at marketing. Or if you, no, when you put it across as, I am pro-choice. Nobody wants to be against choice, no? What is your choice? Very good. And it appeals to the eyes. It appeals to the ears. The problem is, he gets in through your eyes. He gets in through your ears. And he ensnares you in the body. And after that, seven others come and ensnare your mind. Ensnares your mind. Look at Second Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. Everybody knows, very well known. It happened in the spring of the year that when kings go out to battle, David sent Job and his servants with him and all Israel. They destroyed the people of Ammon, besieged Rabbah. But, that's a contradiction, but David remained at Jerusalem. John 5 and verse 17. Antidote. Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Antidote to sin is work. The idle mind is a devil's workshop. Work has never killed anybody. Slavery has, but work hasn't. Slavery is abuse of work. It's there. Okay? I'm talking about harsh conditions. We are talking about work. Work. God works. You know why Jesus never, one of the practical things which Jesus never sinned, if you looked at him, he's always working. And then he falls asleep. There's no time to get tempted. You know, our older generations of Christians, older, my grandmother, I'm talking about that, that generation, even if they did not really know Christ, if you look at their lives, they led very simple righteous lives. You know one thing? They always worked. My grandmother, after she all retired, she was a Malayalam teacher, she retired, and I grew up in my grandparents' house, grandfather and grandmother's house, for seven years. She wakes up at five in the morning, a retired person. They don't have to get up. They get their government pension, nothing. Back five in the morning. Five to six, she's praying. I'm still sleeping. 
Okay. okay. And six, she goes and starts cooking breakfast for me and lunch for me to take to school. The whole day she's at work. Afternoon she takes a half an hour nap. After that again she goes to work. Because they didn't want to just simply. So they had cattle and sheep and everything. So she goes, plants, cuts grass, brings it. Whole day. Night she goes to sleep. And again half an hour she prays. And then she goes to sleep. They never had time to get tempted. Because their antidote was work. Antidote was work. Today we have the most lazy generation who don't want to work and fighting for rights. The only right you actually have is the right to work. Simple. And it does not matter. Even if you are the king, if you subvert this, you will fall. Kings are not exempt from temptation because of your throne. You are still a man of like passions. Like passions. And he fell. Oh God. Temptation came in through the eye gate. He couldn't sleep. See, a man who works hard can always sleep. He comes good. He's gone. The other fellow who hasn't worked. Then he gets up. Okay. He went to the roof. The others go to the computer. He watched live porn. We people watch virtual porn. That's the only difference. The only difference is he looked at a woman bathing that was live porn, called her and had sex. These guys can't do that so they look at another woman on the sister and then they do it themselves. They can't call her. Others are on virtual chat. I'm talking about one of the dudes who used to come to the church. He lost around 5 lakhs rupees. He came and said, Pastor, I lost all my money. Said, How did you? No, I befriended a girl. And she took all my money. And that was the money which his father had worked for. I said, you deserve it. She's not the fool. You are the fool. And that's what the Bible says. God never tempts you. Never tempts you. He's never tempted by evil. Absolute solid scripture. 1 James 1 verse 13 and 14. Never. So our prayer to God is, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver him from evil. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Not as he himself tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So he falls, falls first in the body. Body. Okay? Unclean spirit. The spirit of lust. Unclean spirit has come in. He falls in it. After that. You see, the Bible says, Proverbs 24, 16, right? Uh, 24, 16. A righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. Okay, when you fall... Don't delay to rise. Don't delay to rise. When you fall in the body, rise up immediately, meaning repent and go back to God and put it right immediately. Otherwise what? That fellow who got into your body will invite others who will get into your mind. 
And once it comes to mind, it will cause havoc. You know what came in? Fear came in. False pride. Fear came in. Deceit came in. Lying came in. Murder came in. Self-righteousness came in. These are all in the mind. Everything is in the mind. Everything in the mind. Tak, 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 tak. This fellow went out and called seven others. I got his body. You get his mind. God needed surgery to get him right. To be confronted by the man of God with the word of God and did surgery. I have sinned. And God had to take him out of it. Deliver him. So please understand when the Bible is saying the battle we are facing is spiritual. It's a physical battle. It's very easy. You know where your foe is and how he does. You can work it out. You know your enemy. No, you know your enemy. Even cricket teams, that's what they do. If they have to play Australia, they watch all the Australia matches, the videos to see how each batsman is. You understand the weakness and the strengths of your opponent and then bowl accordingly. But this is an unseen enemy. You have to know his tactics. And our earthly wisdom has no power. Second Corinthians 10 verses 3 and 4. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk war according to the flesh. For the weapons of a warfare are not carnal. They are not of human, but mighty in God for pulling down. So the strongholds get established in the mind. That's an enemy stronghold. If you read the Galwan, the whole news will keep on coming. China has withdrawing, India is withdrawing. And they will say finger one, finger two, finger three. What are these? These are strongholds. That is the elevated position from which they want you both to withdraw. Because whoever has the elevated position has advantage. So what does the enemy do? He established strongholds in your mind. Strongholds in your mind. That's got advantage. That's why, that is, that is why the physical manifestations on earth, if you look at all pagan religions, especially when God sends Israel into this thing, He says they're high places. Down their high places. High places. It's giving to us a spiritual life lesson. We have high places in our minds. And that is how we factor and see through that. It's not the low places that matter. Those high places which are called strongholds. And the Bible says weapons of warfare are not carnal. Mighty in God to pull down these strongholds established in our minds. They have to be pulled down one by one by one by one. And people, or even governments, even Christians, are totally unaware of the true nature of the battle we face. See, like I said last week, there are two viewpoints. One is the world viewpoint, which is all physical. Which has to be factored only through physical reasoning and everything. And that is spiritual. As long as you don't factor in the spiritual and know its appropriate solution in Christ, you cannot win any social or relational issue. Impossible. 
I'll tell you simple. A husband and a wife has an issue. You take them for counseling. They sit there and they counsel and they agree to everything the counselor says and he says, okay, I changed my viewpoint. I also changed my agree to the, there is still no peace until they have forgiven each other and forgiveness is spiritual. How come they are not able to communicate though they agree on all issues? Because there is something that is spiritual which God says is mandatory which you haven't tackled. Which a counselor doesn't tackle. Forgive in Christ and receive mercy from Christ. And forgive one another in Christ. So in all the nations of the world and even in the church, what happens is the weapons they use is power, political power, social action, demonstration, boycott. All is limited effect. Because the perspective is very one-dimensional. It is like taking a demon-possessed man to a psychiatrist. What will he do? What will he do? Secular psychiatrist. He will give him sedatives. So you took a man who could have been normal, he comes back a zombie. Until you cast that fellow who has taken over in him, he's never going to be free. He's never going to be normal. Because you give him sedatives and he comes back home, he's not free. You feel free. The family who took him there feel free because he's not violent like before. He's not free. You're only feeling a false freedom because he's still a slave. If you ask them, how are they? Oh, things are better. Really? I mean, meaning better than before. He's not violent. She's not violent. You know why? Because you're not able to see the invisible. You're one dimensional. Look at Luke 10 and verse 19. Another dimension of this. Which has got to do with pastors. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. The simple thing is, are you a servant of God? Do you believe in the scripture? Do you believe in the power of Jesus' name? Do you believe in the power of the anointing? Then demons do not have power over you. You have power over the demons. You do not have discernment. That's why when you go to certain places, the fellow takes a sticks and chases you and your entire prayer team off because you dealt with an altar personality as a demon. Demons have, you have power over demons. You don't have power over altar personalities. You don't have discernment. The altar personality is a part of his own self. You don't know the difference. You can never cast an altar personality out. It cannot be cast out because it's a part of him. The split personality. You can only cast the demons out. So pastors go out and in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I command you to come out. That fellow takes a stick and chases him out. It's a shame. You're supposed to have power and authority over the demon. Sometimes the demonic gives that man supernatural power. You restrain him, but you're not afraid of demons. Never afraid of demons. The demons are afraid of you, of Christ in you. 
You can stand on your head, use every trick you have learned in deliverance ministry. You cannot cast out an altar. It is not A-L-T-R, altar. You can only integrate that altar. You cannot cast out the altar. The problem is the deception of the enemy is if you don't understand and know his deception, let us say Sammy. Sammy has an altar personality. His name is Tommy. <laughs> okay. Okay, Tommy. <laughs> Tommy has demons in him which gives Tommy supernatural strength. Okay? Now, I am a pastor. I have no clue who Tommy is. I think Tommy is a demon. Tommy is not a demon. So I come out and say, Come out now in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Tommy surfaces, takes a stick and beats the heck out of me. Why? Because he's an altar empowered by the demons. So what do I tell you? I know who you are. You are an altar. I'm not your enemy. I'm your friend. I'm not your enemy. I'm your friend. You have been enslaved and Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to make... <gasps> don't tell me the name of Jesus. I don't want to hear See, demons tremble before the name of Jesus. Altars who have been programmed resist the name of Jesus. It's a difference. Demons tremble. Altars resist. Demons don't resist Jesus. They're scared. Please, 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 please. Blood, Altars are different. Altars are not your enemies, pastors, if you're listening. Altars are not your enemies. They're part of that person you're trying to save. All you have to do is learn how to integrate that altar with that person. Cast the demons out. This is the deception and the lies of the enemy you need to understand. And you have to realize why... None of the world's tactics don't succeed. Does it succeed? Because we are mighty only in God, not in social programs. See, poverty is not just a social issue. It's a spiritual issue. If you only address a social part of it, I mean, trillions and billions and trillions of billions is being pumped in. People are still poor. Still poor. You look at every budget, look at America's what you call debt, the money that supposedly they have spent on the people. All the governments, the amount of money they are spending, people are still poor. Because you cannot throw money alone at a spiritual problem. It won't solve it. Poverty is a spiritual issue. It has to be tackled spiritually, and God says, you will never lack. You will never lack. It's contrary to accepted economics. Economics is pumping money. Give, 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 give. Pumping, 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 pumping. God says it is the other way. Do you think you are poor? You give. You give to the king. Lord, but I am poor. I am only little... Oil and little dough to make two cakes. And he says, no, give it to me first. But that's kingdom economics. This is not world economics. You don't learn this at school. 
you don't learn in any institute of management this you learn it only in the kingdom and suddenly you realize what has happened when you teach people and they believe it and practice it and becomes a part of their life you have tapped into a resource that never ever runs out never runs out you learn scripture says until the famine went there was no lack in a widow's house lack in the widow's house these are issues spiritual not just social issues and he says deal it with spiritual weapons deal it with spiritual weapons and be consistent until it becomes a part of your life part of your life i'll tell you something the bin my understanding was filled up only for each day so she had to live that life every day of faith the manna lasted only for that day and we were called to ask only for our daily bread it's a life it's not a one time tactic it's a life the life of faith these are kingdom weapons no all issues social issues Racism is not one dimensional. You cannot legislate it away. Thou shall not commit adultery. Meaning it stopped? No! God says deal with lust in your heart. It's a spiritual lust. The unclean spirit, the spirit of lust is a spiritual issue. When you deal with that unseen, you deal with that, that is gone. the outside is gone racism is not a social issue the issue is sin the issue is sin the issue is that you don't believe that all men are created actually equal in the image of god the color of your skin is irrelevant the only thing that matters is who you are inside when a white man is dying i'm just using an example because that's the picture put across as racism and a white man is dying and he needs blood and is o positive he will take it from the black man who is o positive and still live so the blood was the same blood was the same do you realize a black man's blood can save a white man when he's dying and life is in the blood and not in the skin in god say life is in the blood so things have to be dealt go beyond mal we shall legislate we pull down statue you can pull down all the statues you will be still a racist while you are pulling the statue also inside you are still a racist because you are dealing with all these things with a single dimensional issue without realizing these issues are issues of the spiritual realm who's the racist the devil who's the one who receives everyone has sons and daughters god irrespective of color or country or race or tribe who's the racist the devil you need to understand these things have to be dealt relationship issues a multidimensional and once the demonic enters you cannot 
solve it with counseling. And the biggest issue in relationships, marriage or any relationship, the biggest issue is spiritual and it is pride. You get two humble people, man and wife. It doesn't matter how many problems they have. You can talk to them, they're receivable and they walk away free. You can take the best educated husband and wife if they are full of pride, nothing will work. Do they understand the counseling very well, better than you? Will it work? (laughs) Will it work? No. Because the spiritual has to be tackled. That's why he says, you see, pride is a weapon of the devil. Because he's the proud. Humility is a weapon of God. God is humble. And along with pride comes a whole lot of other spirits. Pride invites a whole legion of other spirits. It was his false pride to save his face that caused David to go down. You know when Paul is talking about spiritual warfare in Corinthians 10. Our weapons, though we live in the world, we do not live as the world, though we live in the flesh, our weapons. Look at verses 1 to 3. It's interesting. Look at how he's telling us about spiritual warfare, but how does he put it across? Because even the way you put it across is part of warfare. I, Paul, now am pleading with you in the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in, in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who thinks of us as we walked according to the flesh. Then he says, though we walk in the flesh. You know what he did in 1 and 2? He said, I, Apostle Paul, by the authority vested in me, command you. That would have been pride. And you already have lost the battle. Remember his letter to Philemon? I can order you, but I will beg you. Because these are weapons. These are weapons. Because the devil is clothed in pride. Christ is clothed in humility. Okay. Look at James chapter 4, 6 and 7. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. How do you submit to God? By being humble and resist the devil. You can't be, you can't be proud and resist the devil because the devil will walk with you. He says, I like you. <laughs> we are made for each other. So God says, clothe yourself with humility. That's Christ. And resist the devil. You have to see the inner workings of the Spirit of God in the letters of Paul. How he even went spiritual warfare, it is clothed in humility because it's a weapon. So throughout the scripture you look at, we are always called to put off and put on, put off and put on, put off and put on, put off. Let's look at a few. Romans 13 and verse 12 and 14. Romans 13. Night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Put away and put on. Let us walk properly. And verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Not that you shall fight the flesh. No, put on Christ. No, I will fight my flesh. No, you cannot without putting on Christ. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. Galatians 3.27 For as many as you were baptized into Christ, what were we put on? See, when we went into the water, we put off the self. When we came out of water, what God did is put Christ on us. He says, now walk accordingly. Ephesians 4.24 That you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I told you these are the parameters in the kingdom of God. Righteousness and holiness. Put on. All the other likes are unimportant. Imagine two people. Okay, Let's imagine two people. Let's take Peter. Peter has a Twitter account. And let's take Sammy. We have picked two of our African brothers here. Okay, we have Peter here. I don't know. I won't pick for Sammy and Peter. Let me pick somebody else. Okay, let's take Peter and Paul. Peter has a Twitter account. Okay, and he has two million followers. Paul has a Twitter account. He has only one follower. You look at now. You look at and say, who is more popular? Who is more influential? You will say, Peter. Why? Yes? Two million followers. And he says, Paul has only one follower. Then he said, but who is this follower? And you see the like over there is God. Now let me tell you, who is more influential? Paul. One man with God is more powerful than all men together. So in eternity, it doesn't matter how many million followed you on earth. The only thing that matters is, did God follow you in heaven? Satan, where have you come from? From earth, roaming back and forth. He says, did you see my man? So God was following somebody on earth. Who was it? Oh, all around the world, people are praying. Wherever the gospel has reached, everybody is praying. God told Ananias, I want you to go to the city called Straight. There's a man called Judas. Go to his house. There's a man called Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he prays. Whose prayer was God following? Paul's. You need to understand the difference on earth and the difference in heaven. The only thing that matters is, is God following. Is his eyes on you. If you've got a Twitter account, let God put his like there. That's the only thing that matters in eternity. You have to get our perspective right. This is not about man. It's not how many people like your sermon. Paul says, when I preach, I preach unto God. If God doesn't like my sermon, it doesn't matter how many likes I get, how many millions followed me on YouTube. It's irrelevant. If nobody followed me on Elam, everybody put their finger down. God puts his finger up. You're successful. That's what matters in a kingdom. The kingdom, king stretch forth your hand. You are free. That's what the Bible is talking about. Put on, put on, put on. When you put on, you're putting on Christ. Christ is not pleased with me. Christ is pleased with the Christ in me. And how more Christ grows in me, the more God is pleased with me. Not with me, the Christ in me. 
That's what Paul will say. Let Christ increase. Let Christ increase. Let Christ increase. That's kingdom. Ephesians 6.11 Put on what? The whole armor. No, whole armor of God. Don't put on the whole armor. It is material. The best armor supplied to the best unit in the American Marines is useless before the devil. They have some of the best armor. Useless. Put on the full armor of God. That's only thing that can withstand the wiles of the devil. Only thing. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to whose image? Nothing on the world of him who created him. He has been renewed in his mind according to the image of God. Put off and put on. Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. Why are we asked to put this? Because these are weapons of warfare. Tender mercies. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also, above all these things, put on love. That's the most, one of the most powerful spiritual weapons. We never see that as a weapon, but that's how God saved the world. The devil hated the world, God loved the world. And he disarmed the enemy with his love for man. These are all both defensive and offensive pieces in the believer's armory. Ultimately what we are doing is we are putting on Christ. You know how... Paul logically comes to this conclusion when ultimately you have learned to live a life like this in Galatians 2.20. So all things of faith, because you cannot see this. You cannot, I have never seen mercy. I have seen act of mercy. I have not seen mercy. Okay? So all these things are spiritual things. I have been crucified with Christ. <coughs> it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave. He says, I no longer love. Though I we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So battle also has to be in the spirit. In the same way, though we live in the flesh, we do not live in the flesh. We live in faith. And when we live in faith, Christ lives in us. The result of it, when you live this life, John 16, 33, in Jesus' life, when you lived like that, be of good cheer. These things I have spoken to you, that you may have peace, in the world you will have trouble. Be of good cheer. Have overcome. He overcame the world. The life of faith, Christ lived. The life of his Father in him, he lived. He overcame the world. And 1 John 5, 4, when we live that life in him, what happens? Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. 
That's why we are called to live a life of faith, putting on Christ. And the entire world system of ideas and objects, the intention is to entice and to capture bodies and minds of men and women. They can be only overcome by faith. The entire gamut of things that are happening around the world is to entice and to capture. And the battle is for our minds. Simple old statement, here who has a mind has your body. And once demonization takes place in the mind, it's more difficult to deliver a man or a woman than who is demonized in the body. Second Corinthians again, 10, verse 4 and 5. What are these ideas called? Our weapons are mighty in God, pulling down what? Strongholds. Where are these strongholds? Casting down? There are all these arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against what? Knowledge of God. It resists the gospel. It resists the word of God. It resists what God has says. These are strongholds, arguments in our minds. That is why it's easier to save a poor man than a rich man. It's not, nothing to got to do with money. It's got to do with the ideas that have gotten into your money, which was empowered by money. The poor man doesn't think too much because he's semi-illiterate or illiterate. So he doesn't have so many conflicts in his head. The rich man, of course, went to Oxford. And he read much. Luke 9, verse 23 to 24. They said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny. Let him deny and take up his cross daily, follow me. It's very fam- Don't get too familiar with these verses because they will stand up against us in eternity. Okay? For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. First thing God says is let him deny. Who is this self? It's a set of ideas that frames you. What a man thinks. So easy. Who is this self? Who is this self? It's how you think about any issue. That's you. And that is your life. You are trying to save your life because you love those ideas. And those ideas are arguments, strong winds against, exalts against, above the knowledge of God. These are arguments. These are ideas. We call it self-life. What is self-life? A set of ideas which you have received and made your own. Appropriated your own. And the kingdom of God is a set of ideas. And if you live in it, it will become your own. It will become your own life. The life of Christ becomes your own life. Yourself. You have to deny yourself. Let me come to this point. Do you know the age in we are living in? The age we are living in. One of the ideas by which has permeated is what we call radical individualism. Don't tell me what to do. 
radical. Individualism is from God. But radical individuals from is from the devil. Radical. Individuals, individuals are created by God. But those individuals are constrained by two laws of the kingdom. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Radical individualism is from the devil. I will not submit to God. I will not submit to myself and I will create my own kingdom. He's the first radical. You see, if you look at uh, any king's coronation ceremony, anywhere in the world, you will see he is crowned by somebody. Right? Prince, whenever the next one takes over the British throne, the Archbishop of Canterbury finally will crown. Napoleon called a pope to come. He was not willing, so he created a second pope. And then when he had to be crowned as emperor, when he was about to be crowned, he took the crown and crowned himself. That's what my history says. And Satan in Paradise Lost, Milton Rice, Satan sat throned himself. Who crowned Satan? Himself. The radical individual has crowned himself. God has kept a set of people. Crowns for a set of people. God will crown them. Because he's the only one whose divine right to rulership, he's the only one born king. He was always king. God, self-existent ones. So he should crown others. But the radical individual crowns themselves. The image of Satan. The first fellow to crown himself. Look at Romans 5.15, verses 1 to 3. Look at God's response to all these radical ideas, how it has to be destroyed in our minds. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let us, each of us, please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification, for even Christ did not please himself. It's all about self right here. The strong self should take care of the weak self. And each one should please the other self. For Christ did not please himself. Radical individuals in my word. God says you need to deny yourself. An idea. That's what actually baptism means. Baptism means it is a proclamation of the death of self. Dead dogs don't bite. Why is there conflicts in our lives? Because we are alive and Christ is dead. Why, when will the conflicts finish? When we are dead and Christ is alive. You kick a sleeping dog, it will bite you. You kick a dead dog, it will leave you alone. You will hurt your feet. And baptized people are that. They are supposed to be dead and not react. He showed us a way. You stand up for the kingdom of God. You stand up for the causes of the kingdom. You stand up for righteousness. You don't stand up because yourself was hurt. And you can couch it in very righteous terms and put it across. I'm standing for a cause. No, you're just offended. Just offended. Self is alive. 
What does it ultimately lead to? You will lead to radical individualism. The gospel is the death knell of self. But today we have a gospel completely changed. It is catered to man. Like I said, the Nepali message, the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. God, Jesus has never detached kingdom from the gospel. Go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, preach the kingdom. Preach the kingdom. The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is not the gospel. Because you take the kingdom, the gospel becomes many things to many people. It can be anything to anybody if you take the kingdom. But if you preach the gospel of the kingdom, ultimately center it only mean one thing. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Jesus is Lord. And the first day of Pentecost when Peter preached, he says the same Jesus whom you crucified. God has made him first Lord and Savior. That's the gospel of the kingdom. You take the kingdom off, it becomes the gospel of man. It becomes something else. Today we are preaching humanism has the kingdom of God. Everything is the offroot of humanism. Everything that socialism is the offroot of humanism. Human first. We need to have order in the society. Equity in the society. Socialism. It's not a kingdom. Gospel of the kingdom is a gospel of man. Because man is at the center. Society has to be more equipped. So those who have more, you have to take it from and distribute to the fellow who does not have. Sounds good. But not factored or motivated by the kingdom or the love of God. Therefore, socialism, its offshoot in politics, which is called communism, has killed more men than all the wars put together. Wasn't your idea so powerful? Then why did you kill so many people? It was supposed to be about man, no? Because it was a demonized idea. The idea was empowered from Satan himself. Look at the revolutions of communism. Oh, in Kerala, the first communist uh, state which came through through the ballot, not the bullet. Everywhere else it is bullet, the ballot. Oh, we sang in our old days. Not we, I mean you as a ex-Mallu. We sang songs of, what is that, Stalin. Stalin songs. People sang. The communists sang songs of Stalin until Stalin was gone and Khrushchev came. When Khrushchev came, the secret Khrushchev put that in one year alone, if my memory is right, 35 to 36 or 37 to 36 to 37, 1936 to 37, Stalin had what's called the Great Purge. He was supposed to have killed 1.2 million of his own people, of his own party. Why? Your idea was so great, right? idea was so great, right? It's demonic. Radical individualism, humanism, socialism, Marxism, communism, feminism, in the end, it's all opposed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But people take it. The kingdom has taken over, taken away, and these are preached nicely with scriptural terms. Nicely. They use scripture. 
which suits their ideology, meaning a demonic idea is packaged with scripture and sold to the masses. The masses feel so good and good, but there is no Christ being proclaimed. There is no denial of the self being proclaimed. The cross is not being declared. Well, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, the death of the old man. And we do not realize how these ideas have taken root. How long have you been married? Oh, 15 years. And what is your trouble? No, we are not able to agree at all. Every day there is conflict. Having been going to church regularly, yes, we are very committed members. We are in the board of elders too. And after you talk to them for 10 minutes, you realize this is a socialist and that is a feminist. How can they agree and come to a pastor for counseling? The pastor only has a word of God to say, humble yourself before God, get rid of all your ideas, submit to one another, Consider the other greater than you. Who is going to receive that counseling? That's the only counseling that can save your life and your marriage. The churches are full of humanists and socialists and Marxists and communists and feminists. Because the gospel was detached from the kingdom. What does gospel mean? Good news. But good news can mean anything. Socialism can feel very good to a poor man. Capitalism can feel very good to a rich man. To who he has, much more will be given. Capitalists, hallelujah, Lord. And those who had, took and gave it to the poor, the socialists, hallelujah, Lord. But it's got nothing to do with the kingdom. It just fed an idea that is demonic in you. Don't isolate scriptures and fit into your ideology. Look at the whole scripture. The kingdom of God is not based on any of these ideas or ideologies. The devil just took a few ideas from the Bible and wrapped up in his demonic power and sold it to the masses. And millions have died because of this. And every one of these radical ideas which people received has always gone into the death of millions. Look at the cry of the French Revolution. Oh, sounds so great. Liberty, fraternity. And they are sitting there sewing with their sewing kit and the king's head is being cut off. The royal family's head is cut off. The bourgeois, the noble, everybody's head is cut off. And they're sitting there. And after that came Napoleon. Oh, the Bolshevik wrestled. Oh, the Tsar's head is cut off and this one's head is cut off and that one's so the bourgeois. Come on, in the kingdom of God, the man is not your enemy. There is no bourgeois and politrate. The bourgeois will die to save the politrate and the politrate will die to save the bourgeois. That is the kingdom of God. One doesn't kill the other. The original bourgeois was Jesus, the Lord of all. He laid down his life to save us proletariat. That's the kingdom of God. But your ideology will not accept that. He will not. And people receive all these ideas and sit in churches and wonder why I'm going nowhere. Because strongholds have been established in your heads which has got nothing to do with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God stands on its own. God of love, God of mercy, God of kindness, God of power, God of holiness, God of righteousness, it stands on its own. You cannot add, you cannot have that in your head. That's why the believers' minds have so many blind spots. Everything is sold in the church. In the church. Because it all starts from the western world. Like I keep saying in my meetings. 
Judaism, Middle East. Christianity, Middle East. Islam, Middle East. Two of the Semitic religion, all traced to Abraham. Hinduism, India. Buddhism, India, Nepal. Jainism, India. So basically there are six religions. All from the East. West never gave us any religion. They only gave us ideologies. And you look at any ideology that has come from the West. It's come either from a rogue Jew or a rogue Christian. And they took some ideas, whether it's Marx or Frederick Angels or if you look at any one of them, any one of them, you will see they were rogues. They had got away. And they picked those ideas from isolated portions of the scripture and then wrapped up and sold it to the people. And people are so blinded, they are not able to see. And pastors, pastors, that's the issue. That's the issue with I have with the pastors. I mean, even in the, all the rise that took place in U.S., how can pastors walk with BLM movement and transgender movement and reproductive rights movement? How can you all walk together? Do you know what powers these ideologies? Is that of God? You are of God. You are not of this world. You cannot link in arms and we are fighting. No. That cause is not part of the kingdom. The kingdom cause is to bring people to righteousness. It has to be dealt from inside out. The minute you linked arms, those who are fighting for reproductive, because BLM and the uh, abortion lobby have joined hands together. Now we are all walking together. How can you walk with that together? Do you know the founder of Planned Parenthood was Margaret Sanger who hated the blacks? And every Planned Parenthood, almost every Planned Parenthood, their clinics to abort the babies are put in absolutely closed where the black community lives to kill the black babies. And you're walking with them? They have murdered 23 million black babies. Because the same whites who support them and they're walking with them, they actually hate the blacks. and They want to terminate the black race. I'm talking about the DNC and all these people. And how can you as a servant of God walk with them, those people who actually fund and subtly deceive so that your babies are killed? You say you're only 13% of the population, you don't have a voice. Imagine 23 million of those men and girls were living. What would be the ratio of your population? What is your political power? They didn't want that. And they destroyed your black homes. 73% of black homes don't have a father. They destroyed your homes. Kingdom of God stands on its own. It does not accept any other idea. No. So ultimately, you know what? They all go in the name of the church. They are no longer about the kingdom. They are all social justice warriors. The greatest social justice message you will ever hear is the kingdom of God. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. Freedom to remove all sexual restraint is called gay rights. What is so gay about it? What is so gay about it? Because you have to term it as a right to take your guilty feelings off.
So now they have started right from primary schools in the West. Right. Children are taught about sexuality, about gender. Don't go to the accepted old conservative biblical patterns. These are your rights now. A generation will grow up who neither knows God or his kingdom or his values. And God will say, time for me to intervene and wipe it off. It's a sad part which people do not know the where the world is hurtling to. All we are doing is paving the way for the Antichrist. Because before the Antichrist can come, it has to be established in the mind. That's what Second Corinthians 10.5 In the mind. Casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Instead, what we are doing, we are setting up arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and refuses to accept the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Minds have been taken over. In most of the Western so-called Christian world, the majority believe aborting a baby is okay. The majority even in U.S. believe in homosexual rights. The majority believe in transgenderism. What has happened? We are not talking, forget the Gentiles. They do not count in God's plans. We are talking about the Christians. So what has been taken over first? The mind. The mind has taken over. Isn't that what happened? Remember Genesis 6, 5 and 11? First the mind, then the body. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in earth. Why? Reason why? Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only... The devil first took the mind. Outworking, verse 11. The earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with... First it takes the mind. You see, you may do a crime, but if your mind is sensitive, you will be filled with remorse. Then you will... Try to make amends. But what happened, you have been conditioned in such a way there is no remorse or regret. You actually say, I had to do it. It was right. Are you getting the difference? Two people are sinning. Two people are doing the same sin. But the thought process may be completely different. One says, oh Lord, what a wretch I am. I fell again. The other one says, I deserved it. He was the reason I did it. That is all. One is David. The sin in the body is not what is so important. The justification in your mind is what is important. They fell in their mind first. And then the earth was full of violence. And that's what has happened. The Christendom is practically gone. People have fallen in their minds. There are no absolutes anymore. Everything is negotiable. Anything is, you tell me one right, it can be negotiated. Anything that is absolute with God in the Bible, tell me, they will say it can be negotiated. Absolutes of God can be negotiated. Like I said, if I am an FBI agent, I can lie to you. But if you lie to me, then you are under prison. You are under, you will be indicted. Why? Because you lied to the, but I am an FBI guy. I am supposed, am I not supposed to tell the truth? So truth also can be negotiated if you are in power in a Christian nation. You are obliged to tell the truth to me. But I can lie to you. What kind of a 
nonsense is that in a Christian nation? You tell me anything that is absolute in the kingdom of God, everything has been negotiated and made it to cater to man. Sexuality, marriage, gender, work. Nobody wants to work now. Four day week, four day week. Francis talking, four day week. Finally it will be one day work and six day rest. Anything can be negotiated to the carnal man. Politicians are waiting. There are no more absolutes left. Mind goes. The body follows. When the body follows, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called or that is worship. So he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now you put that two together. Remember Second Corinthians 10, 5? The mind is gone. The man is God. The man is God. Did you see? The man is God. Now the whole man is a man of sin. Who is he? He has become a man of sin. The man has become the man of sin because his mind has become the mind of sin. Because you justified everything here. Every argument, every thought that was contrary to Christ Jesus has been exalted and strongholds. Now your mind is a fortress against God. The man, the whole man, has become the man of sin. What we are seeing today is the end of radical individualism. But what we don't see is, it's the deception of the enemy. He will feed you a lie with another packaged nicely. But actually what he does is, he's actually taking all your God-given rights away. The governments today even mandate how you can breathe with a mask or without a mask. And you think you are free. Think you are free. You do not realize the lie of the enemy. That's why America is the only nation everybody throws everything at Trump. He refuses to become a federal mandate about wearing the mask because he says we have to strike a balance. This is a freedom, liberty which God has given, which cannot be taken away. And what people do is choose to wear a mask and not be forced because today it will be mask. Tomorrow it will be the mark. Like I said, the pandemic is the trial run of the new world order. Just a trial run. The big one is coming. It will come in a few years. They did a trial run. It's working. They did it in a few countries first. Authoritarian countries. Then they did it on the world. And found you can lock the whole world in with fear and punishment. That's what the Bible says. You cannot buy or sell without the mark. Meaning you cannot live without their permission. They will tell you how to live. First they will tell you what you can say. If you say anything that doesn't agree with, they will cancel you. 
It's called cancel culture. They will come against you, abuse you, shout you, call you all kinds of filth. The funniest part about is that, like if President Trump says something, because their mind is racist, they see what they say as racist. Then every word that comes out of their mouth is absolute filthy obscenity. And they have no wrong, anything wrong with that. When the statement actually makes looks harmless. You know? That's how they are blinded. A cloak of self-righteousness because we are fighting for a cause. Some of the looney tunes were on the streets. You look at them, you know, some of them are walking only in their underwear. And you know they are on a drug haze. Oh, we want to pull down the statue of Mahatma Gandhi because we read he did something. Come on, you can even hold a scandal to that man's personality. What are you talking about? What do you know about Gandhi? What do you know about Gandhi? You want to pull down the statue of George Washington. What do you know about that man? The ideals, those mood, those founders. Upstarts walking on the streets. Do you know these men? Do you know that when the blacks were freed from their slavery, it is the white men who died to set you free? Have you forgotten your history of the civil war? It was white men who fought white men to set the black man free. How can you erase that out of your history? How many died? 320,000? 350,000? White men died to set black men free because he had a conscience. Look at the whole picture. Cannot erase your history because that's what communism does. It erases the history. Think about the cultural revolution of Mao. How many millions they killed. It was called the gang of five. Then he died. It became the gang of four. And once he died, the next group, the gang of four, all disappeared and were incarcerated, including Mao's last wife. Now, they are put on trial and they acknowledge the cultural revolution was wrong. But how many million died before you realize it was wrong? Do you understand it? How totalitarian ideas? Because we cut our teeth all this in the universities. And I saw it as a kingdom person, the, the depravity and the darkness of these ideas. And I was the only one, I was willing to be the only one to stand up against a horde of professors and students and refuse to believe what they sold. Because ideas kill, ideas enslave. The kingdom of God sets people free. For the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to set the captives free. The kingdom of God is the most powerful ideology ever spoken by man, God himself. There is a huge ditch that has to be cleared. Hundreds, if I'm right, of soldiers sitting and there is a sergeant standing on the roadside and they are so tired and the sergeant is barking orders and then a man comes on horseback and he tells him what's happening, why don't you help him? He says, can't you see me? I am a sergeant. He said, sorry sir. He got off the horse and he helped everybody. When he was finished, he got up on his horse and he left and he told the sergeant, next time you help, next time you need help, just let me know. By the way, I'm George Washington. Your general, your commanding officer, walking on the ditch like another soldier. Let me ask these people who are on the streets, can you match his character? That's part of your history. Shared history, black and white. Shared history. It's not, sometimes I believe some of the black leaders are more racist than the whites. Because the eyes are blinded with hatred. I'm a brown man. 
My country was enslaved by 300 years by the British or 200 years and maybe 1500 years by the Muslims. But I don't hate Muslims, I don't hate the white man. Then I would be no better than him because that's what hatred makes you. Devil is filled with hatred. God is filled with love. Ideas have power to destroy. And pastors need to stand up and talk. And not preach socialism and Marxism and feminism and humanism and reproductive rights and gay rights. These are no rights. A man has no rights other than given by God. Because one day every man will stand before God and give an account. Then you will realize in a kingdom the only right you have is what God has, the king has given. And his word is law. And he already made man what his rights are and what his responsibilities are. When I understand my rights and I understand my God give responsibilities, when I learn to walk in it, I am a truly free man. That's what he does. He will take a cause and wrap it up and give it to the people in the kingdom and before you know they are running after it and forgotten the king and the kingdom. His righteousness, his holiness, everything. And that's how strongholds are established in the minds. Oh church, if you don't wake up, and if you don't ask the Holy Spirit to take, somebody asked about what is the baptism of fire. It burns up every demonic idea into your mind. It burns up. Ideas need mind. Ideas need fire. Jesus did not say, or John the Baptist did not say, when the kingdom of God is preached, the axe is set on the branches. He said, it is set on the roots. It will destroy every preconceived idea, every thought, every argument that does not agree with God. A Christian is a radical because he battles the ideas in his own mind. And he pulls everything. He looks in the mirror of God's word and he says, Spirit of God, speak to me. Speak to me. And every idea that I have received, whether from my parents or whether from my school or from my college or from the magazines or TV or everything, everything that does not agree with your word. Lord, through your power, because I know the weapons of warfare are mighty in God, I will pull it down and replace it with God. That's the first battle we have to win and keep winning. Because only the blind can't lead the blind. And I told you last week, the other most powerful stronghold in the mind of the modern man, you know what it is? It is called the Theory of relativism, not Einstein's. Literary theory. Meaning there is no absolute right or no absolute wrong. The minute you accept it, God has gone out of the picture because God is a God of absolutes. That's why Pastor Vijay likes math because math is not like English. It is absolute. If you ask Pastor Vijay 2 plus 2 is, if you ask a literary person, it will say it depends upon the climate and your feeling. Some days it's like a little less than four. If you stretch it, it can become five. He will use such flowery language that you're absolutely confused. Two plus two doesn't have to be four. That God is absolute. Absolute. There is absolute rights and absolute 
absolute wrongs in God's kingdom. But modern morality is not determined by God's truth. First, it is determined by Gallup poll. What does the majority say? Majority says they are okay with homosexuality. Let's change the law. It's determined by first Gallup poll, second by the government, and third by the courts, or whichever way order you can put it, depending upon system. Okay. Five people in the Supreme Court can change even when the 60 or 70 percent of the people of US were against same-sex marriage. They said, let there be same-sex unions without same-sex marriages. This marriage is sanctified as a between a man and a woman by God. The five people in the court went, agree, went ahead and said, it is okay. So it became the law. So today's absolutes are not determined by God. It is determined either by the court or the government. Because the Congress will pass it, becomes the law. Or the parliament here will pass it, becomes the law. Or by Gallup poll. And we don't realize the same thing has got into our mind. If the majority of the people in the church is doing something is wrong, it is okay because they are doing it, I can also do it. God doesn't factor in. So denomination after denomination after denomination fell under that onslaught. And you will see all the major, all major traditional episcopal and church and all. I don't know what truth they believe in now. And you need to realize, the eyes of the people are so blinded that the reaction you are getting it. Poor President Trump. He will try it. No, he's not like a hardcore believing believer, but he loves Christians. He loves Jews. He understands there is something divine about his destiny. So he will take a Bible, go to that church, which is, which, uh, Got burned out, not one of the Sunday school was burned out. He stood over there. It's a powerful symbol. Immediately all the voices from the church. If you go back and study their biodata, they are all gay. Because Episcopal Church is a church is ordained. All the church leaders opposes Trump's visit. <laughs> church leaders. God sits there and pulls his hair. He says, if I, when I get my hands on these leaders, the darkest place in hell is reserved for them. Remember the judgments? He says, my servants. He says, they cut them, them into pieces and throw them in the outer darkness. Because they perverted my truth and destroyed my people. My people perish because of lack of? And because they have rejected knowledge, I have rejected you as? The indictment is on the priest, not on the people. Because people are supposed to receive the knowledge of God from the lips of the priest. He said, my people have perished. Indictment is upon you. Upon you. Sometimes people warn me online, Pastor, Pastor, be careful what you say. They will take you off YouTube. I don't care if I'm taken off YouTube. I don't even be taken off him. Ultimately, every man has to stand alone before God and say, Lord, I did not deny your word. I did not deny your word because I wanted to be popular and be found in YouTube. No, we don't want to be in YouTube. We want to be with him. And because we stood with him and stood up for what he says is absolute, we are taken off all these media. It's fine with our soul. 
We are not like Pilate. We look at the masters and wash. We'll have to stand before Christ. A man who knew what the truth was and was confirmed through his wife's dream, yet allows him to be. Because the will of the people and political power. Pastors are not after the will of the people or the political power. They are people who have prayed every night in their closet, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in your kingdom there are absolutes. Because finally you go to this relativism and you become a relativist. What will happen is when there are no absolutes, ultimately there is no sin. If you have no sin, then you don't need a savior. Yes, you don't need a savior. You don't need a savior if there is no sin. My wife was nodding off. I'm acknowledging in public. Your eyes are closed, my honey. Oh, you are meditating. Okay. <laughs> my wife meditates. Okay. okay. You know what happens? When there is no sin, what, that's what relativism does. Ultimately, there is no you have issues in your life. You have made a few mistakes, Sammy. But there is no sin. So mistakes, we have counseling. You don't need repentance, by the way, okay? <laughs> Only sinners need repentance. There is no sin. There are no sinners. There are, there is, therefore, there is no Savior. And who is Jesus Christ? He was a very good teacher. He taught very f- nice principles. Some of them cannot be practiced, but some of them we can take and we can make a very equitable socialistic in our socialistic government, he is also one of the persons who impresses us, by the way. And we would like to tell you, I think personally for me, Jesus was the first communist. That's how the liberation theology came inside the Catholic Church, came from Latin America. And they called it liberation theology. I'm telling you, most churches, denominational big churches in the Western world, Christ is no longer Lord. And the word of God is no longer absolute. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God is not of this world. The scepter of his kingdom is? It's the scepter of right. Everything is okay? You're all looking here and the camera is working? No? Fine. Camera doesn't have ears. You have, okay? <laughs> when the camera turns, it is okay. You don't turn. The scepter of his kingdom is what? But it is the righteousness of God that comes by faith. It's not righteousness of man. It is, doesn't come from any isms. It is the righteousness of God that comes by faith and faith alone. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. So if I take the word of God out, I am an unrighteous person. It doesn't matter how many social goods I have done. Socially I may be excellent. I may get even a ribbon from the government. But I am an unrighteous man. Because there is only one righteousness that is eternal. It is the righteousness of God and it comes by faith. And the scepter of that kingdom is righteousness. So the first thing God does when a man believes is to repent. And he's positionally repenting of what he remembers. 
But as he goes along in the kingdom, he will realize, I have to repent of so many ideas. They had become part of me, but I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. This cannot be part of me. That is communism. That is socialism. That is humanism. This is feminism. Oh Lord, I repent of these ideas. And they are given to me by people who I respect. Maybe by your father, maybe by your mother, maybe very godly looking teachers, maybe by professors who have so many degrees, but the ideas are contrary to the kingdom of God. Deuteronomy 32 verses 1 to 4. I wish I can get all those four verses in one frame. It's difficult. Unless maybe possible. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. As raindrops on the tender herb, as showers on the grass, for I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He's the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. This is Moses swan song. Okay. Look at it. O earth, I will speak. Here. I will speak my words, my teaching, my speech. What about God? I will proclaim His name, His work, and His ways. But that's not the message. There's one thing in that which we need to be very clear in verse 4. He's a rock. His work is perfect. Do you know why his work, work is perfect? Because all his ways are justice. All his ways are just. All his ways are righteous. You know, when my work or Christ's work in will be, will be perfect. The day when all my ways are justice. Some of my ways are justice. Some of our ways are justice. All our ways are still not righteous. And it is the preaching of the word of God by the sword of the spirit which reveals the thoughts of mine and realize, Lord, all these days I thought this way and I worked this way, but it is not righteous, O oh Lord. But all your ways are perfect because all your ways are justice. And that's what we have to grow to. Positionally, we have been made just in all the outworkings. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. That is the end of salvation. When God says His work in you or I are complete, that He says, your work is perfect because all your ways are just. The way you deal with this person, the way you deal with this person, the way you deal with this one, the way you deal with this one, the day you deal with me, the day you with all these issues, your voice are just. You have become like me. And the eternal kingdom comes. I can give you power and authority because your ways are just. You will uphold the scepter of my kingdom, which is the scepter of righteousness because your heart, your mind is like me. This is the end of salvation. That is what we are fighting. That's what Paul is talking about. I fought that good fight. I finished my race. How do you know? Till today I look. I kept that faith. I kept that faith. I kept that faith. What is for me? The 
crown of righteousness. I know one thing. I don't know who all, but I know one thing. I will rule with him in eternity because it's been fixed in my head. His ways have become my ways. When we live by faith and ultimately live only by faith, it means faith has become the way you think and the way you work. Like sight is the way we think and the way we work. We call it sight in the, in the world. Faith has to become the way we think and where we. And in that battle, God says, you should not love your lives even unto death. In that faith, there is divine power. Behold, I have given you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample upon snakes and scorpions. What shall you do? Trample them. By the way, snakes and scorpions are an earthly illustration. These snakes and scorpions are not crawling on earth. They are in my mind. That's where I have to trample them. Every idea that takes power in your life is either empowered by God or the devil. And if it is by the devil, when God exposes, take it down and trample it. Cast it down. Cast it down. Because the problem with the illustration says, scripture says, we explain spiritual things with spiritual illustrations. Snakes and scorpions are not the problem. The snakes and scorpions in my mind is the problem. And they are putting their poison in. If you look at, you look at like a rat snake, people are afraid, but it hardly can do you any harm because it doesn't have a poison. On the other hand, cobra may be smaller than the rat snake. It can kill you. What makes a cobra dangerous than the rat snake, though it may be half its size, is the poison. So what makes a danger, the, 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 the snake and the scorpion? It's the poison. And certain ideas are demonic. They have power. They destroy individuals, they destroy families, they destroy nations. God says, trample them. Trample them. Trample them. And we have to crush them and cast them out and replace them with the word of God. And one of the primary reasons, Christians, well-meaning, not the poor ones in the village, I've gone to the village, villages, the remotest of villages and cities, the learned ones. And it's the learned ones who struggle with hearing of the word of God, not the villagers. The villagers may nod off and then we call them, we laugh of it. Still listen. Three hours, four hours, six hours, seven hours, eight hours, nine hours, they have no issues. Because they love Christ. The learned ones struggle because of ideas. Ideas have become part of self. Ideas not is not enough. Those ideas become life. So in the same way, the kingdom of God also has to become life. Otherwise you'll go mad. Luke chapter 15, 17 and Luke chapter 15, 20. As we close. When he came to himself, that's his idea. Now he's thinking of his current situation 
with something that is happening in his father's house. And what is happening in his father's house is because of the way his father thinks. Father is a very kind, generous man. That's why even the hired servants eat well. I have issues with all these people when I'm not talking to the non-believer. I have issues with the people in the pastors and all who take up causes. Okay? You talk about one maybe four people by violence. Four or five people or six people or seven people might be killed by police white violence on black people in a year. But 20,000 people die in democratic-run cities through violence which they allow unabated. Nobody talks you the figure of black killing, black on black killing. While some of the slave owners were the most kind, generous, loving people who treated practically their slaves like their own family. So, if you look at a black man who with all his tattoos and rippling muscles going around with a machete to kill people, I would prefer the slave owner to him. I would feel safer with him than with this guy. So the problem is not color of your skin or race. The problem is the problem of heart. And when you bring race into it, you are not dealing with a major issue. The major issue is sin. That's how the devil does. So what happens? Nobody can preach sin. I have my issues with all these things. Because you cannot take and whitewash an entire race, black, white, brown or anything. We were all sinners. It is not race that caused you to do this. It is sin that caused you to do this. So he came to his senses. First he has to come to his senses. But he just comes to his senses. And there is no action. He will go mad in the pig pen. Verse 20 says, He arose and came to his father. Lord of people just know the ideas of the kingdom. It has not become life. So they go mad. Literally. I told you the whole world is a lunatic asylum. And when a Christian lives like the people of the world, he's a madman in a sane house of sanity. While the other one is a madman in an insane asylum. This is a madman in a sane home because he refuses to change his life. So God has more pity for the man in the church than the man on the street. Because he is ignorant, he doesn't know. This fellow knows but won't change. Every day he's fighting with me. That guy doesn't fight with me because he doesn't know me. This man is fighting with me every day. And I've come to save him. That's why it's not the Gentiles who handed over Jesus to be crucified. It is his own people. They fought him. Now Hindus, Muslims don't fight Christ. Christians do. No Muslim, no Hindu can mess up the Bible because they don't know it. It's the Christians. That's what happens. As I close two more verses, James chapter 1. 22. 
23. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Okay, let's leave 23 because the next portion is enough for another message. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. God says the greatest deception in the kingdom of God is that people hear and they don't do. And when they hear and they don't do, they are deceived. It's a different kind of deception. You know what the greatest deception in the kingdom of God? Meaning in the church, you think you are saved and you are going to heaven when you are not. You know why you think you are saved? Because you have heard. And he said, oh, poor fellow, we need to preach the gospel to him. He has to go to heaven. I have heard. He has not heard. God says, you fool, you are going to hell. Because you heard. But you didn't do. He will have more mercy on that. Warned you, Korasam. Warned you, Bethsabada. Bogs warned you. Because Sodom and Gomorrah will have more mercy on that day than you. Because they did not hear, you heard. If they had heard, they would have repented and God put the book of Jonah right there to prove to us if the Gentiles had heard the gospel before the Christians and the Jews, they would have believed. All of Nineveh repented. Take the Jonah around, turn him around, send him to Israel and say, repent, the kingdom of God is here, they would kill him. Go to the villages and preach to them for two hours. They will cry. They will weep. They will say, Pastor Baba, what should I do? Go to the cities and preach more than 25 minutes. They will say, who is this man coming to steal my time? My time is my own. I thought our time was his. What God says there? Anyone. It's a hearer of the word and not a doer, which is fooling yourself. You didn't really see yourself. You didn't really see yourself. You saw your face in the mirror. It's all dirty. You just walked away. It was like my childhood days. You know, water in the country is very, very cold. The bedrooms, sitting room, the kitchen and the bathroom is on to that side. So when you are told, go have a bath shower before you go to school, you have to cross the kitchen. When you are going back, you are a boy. You know, who likes cold water? And the mountain water is like ice. No geese or nothing. So what do you do? You wet your hair and wet your feet. and you, On the way you are caught. <laughs> Come here. Mothers are like that. Not touch us. Body is very dry. Go. No, it's very cold. She'll say, I'll call your father. No, acha. When you call that name, you jump into the water. <laughs> because his fire is worse than... The... But a lot of people, no, I like that. Oh, I had a shower. God says, you looked in the mirror. Did you clean yourself? Did you clean yourself? Oh, the gospel must be preached in the villages. Wait, what about you? Because you are in the city, you got a degree, you don't need the gospel? He's a man observing his natural face in a mirror. When he observes himself, goes away. Immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. The word of God convicted him. He told him what kind of a man he was. But when he goes out, he forgets. He looks in the perfect law of the liberty, continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. He sees, he does, 
and his work is blessed. And then verse 26. If anyone among you is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, he says, first you hear, second you do, third thing, shut your mouth. Three things told to the believer, shut your mouth. Much sin comes out of the mouth, shut your mouth. Don't go out and talk like the world. When you are in the world, don't talk like them. Be very careful about communication. Stay in your own company, believers. Talk among your own people. With them, be silent. Be very careful what you say. Because your testimony is either made or lost to your tongue. Hear, do, keep quiet. Keep quiet. Because this one's religion is useless. Useless. That's what happens. They hear. They hear the word. Oh, they hear the word. They come out, they forget. Hi, Roshan. When is the theater store starting? Wacha? I've been waiting for that release. I want to go for that. Everything is gone. Conviction is gone. What is forgot? Everything is gone. Everything is gone. I'm telling you, every person who comes out of church and his mind is carnal and talks carnal, the word has no effect on him at all. He can sit there for 10 years listening to the most powerful people, but it is lost through his mouth. Because the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. It's lost. The kingdom word is a matter of life. It is life. It's not that we should not have fun, we should have lots of, we have lots of fun, we have lots of humor, everything. But it's always restrained by the kingdom. Because we will not lose the kingdom. In the process. In the process. Because you know why? Because we believe in absolutes. We believe in absolutes. Believe in absolutes. That's what, that is what Moses was saying. What God thinks, what God speaks, what God does, one straight line. All His ways are righteous, justice, and all His work is perfect. So you want to compare to Him, He's what? A rock. It's a moving rock, He moves with you, but it's a rock, unchangeable. 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 Amen? Come Peter, let's sing that song. No, I gave him a song before the message. I wanted that song. Okay. We'll sing that song and we will worship. It's lockdown, it's pandemic. Nobody said today's service was too long. Just sit there and enjoy. Peter is going to worship. Lead us in worship once again. Keep kingdom focus. Everything kingdom centered. The king and the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on. As it is in Give us this day our, shall I put us, make you more miserable? Give us this day, our daily bread. Your fathers hate the manna from the desert and they died. I am the bread from heaven. How much is Christ involved in your daily activities, your thoughts, your words and your life? That's my daily bread. When I ask my God in that prayer, give me this my daily bread. I'm asking for the very life of Christ because he is the bread from heaven. 
I'm not asking for roti or chawal or dal. I'm asking for his life. He is my daily bread. He said, your fathers ate manna and died. But he who eats of me will never die. He will live forever because you're partaking of my own life. Do you know what that life, that prayer means? It's a kingdom prayer. It's a kingdom prayer. It's an exchange of life, my life for his life. Yes, Peter. Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like a fragrance after the rain calling Jesus 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 let all of heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms shall King and kingdoms, kings and kingdoms shall all pass. King and kingdoms, kings and kingdoms shall all pass away. But there's something about that name. Hallelujah. Oh, every king and every kingdom will pass away. Oh, but the kingdom of God will be forever and ever. And ultimately there will be one name and name alone. He will be all and in all. And the earth shall be full of the knowledge of God. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's to you we surrender. It is to you that we bend our knee. It's your name that we confess. We know only one King. We know only one Lord. We know only one Savior. And His name is Jesus. Every idea. Every argument. We demolish and will be demolished by the word of our King. It will be law for us now and forevermore. Pray with me. We thank you, we thank you, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We exalt your word this afternoon above every situation, every pandemic, every ICU patient. We got a message just now, my God. Two people are in the ICU, my God. One from Jamshedpur. A mother's in the ICU, my God. Pragya, we pray, Lord. 
that you touch her mother right now in yes, the Lord. name of Jesus. Lord, right now, right now, name. right now, my God, we believe right now, my God, that you're Power touching. in that name. Yes, yes, that's Healing in that name. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. It's right. healing in your work. Yes. By your stripes, we are healed. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. We believe, we believe for her mother right now. We believe, Lord, just 10 minutes ago, Father. We believe, we believe right now. They say she's critical, but my God, my God. We exalt your word. I send forth my word and I heal today, Father. And we believe right now as we've heard the word today, my God. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Mercy upon her, my God. We just thank you. We just thank you. Kara, my God, from New York, my God. And I see you right now, my God. Critical. They say she won't make it, my God. But we believe, we believe. Another one infected with COVID, my God. We believe, we believe right now, right now you're touching. One touch of your garment to be made whole. One touch, one touch, my God. One touch of your garment, my God. All we need is a touch from heaven, my God. We believe, Father, in nothing, nothing is too difficult for thee, my God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, my God. And today we pray, Father, we thank you, Lord, for anniversaries, for birthdays. We thank you for the word that will not come back void. It will accomplish what it was sent out to do. Most importantly, I pray today, we will walk by faith and not by sight. We will walk after we've heard the word, my God, that we, Lord, will be kingdom people, kingdom children today, Father. Teach us, teach us to be kingdom children today, Father. Teach us, my God. Oh, Lord, tame our tongue today, my God. Oh, Lord, let our speech be seasoned with salt, with more grace, redeeming the time, for the end times are evil, my God. And we believe today, Father, that the word of God has spoken to our hearts and our minds. And we truly, truly, as your kingdom children, Lord, we want change. We want change. Oh, Lord, I pray, Father, cleanse the heart, cleanse the mind, cleanse the tongue. Keep us prayed up, my God, during this time. Because we know, Father, your word says pray without ceasing. Watch and pray for the end times are evil. We just thank you for this day. We thank you for the word. We thank you that your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. Just like the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than ours, my God. And we give thanks today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, I just come at the church here everywhere into thy hands, O oh Lord. All our churches, all your people. All your people who are in the critical, they shall not die. They shall love. And they shall proclaim the works of the Lord. It's not over until you say it's over, Lord. Touch them. Raise them up from their sick beds. Let them run their race, Lord. Speak peace into every heart, every life. And I pray the spirit of discernment will come upon your people. That they will know in their minds the thoughts and the ideas that are not according to your word. Learn to put them away and replace them with the word of God, which is the life of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Go with us. Go before us. One more service in the evening. Be with us and speak to us, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen and amen.